0: With Mike Graham, Cork Radio. Now, let us, without further ado, talk to Andrew Bridgen, who I haven't spoken to for a while, actually. Andrew, very good morning to you. Welcome. Morning, Mike. I was listening to you the other night on Mr. Wales' show with some interest. Uh, uh, Lots and lots of interesting things to talk to you about this morning. I'm not expecting you to go along with with my treaties here today about Boris, but I really did feel sorry for him yesterday. I watched him, I looked at him. He was a broken man. He looks as if he's been defeated by coronavirus. And, you know, I wouldn't blame him if he was. But what do you make of that?
2: Um, well, I actually wasn't on the briefing uh, the Prime Minister gave. I, I was taking part in a virtual Q&A uh, supporting the Police and Crime Commissioner candidate for and, Leicestershire and Rutland at the same time. But I mean, clearly, uh, you know, having coronavirus um, you know, affected the Prime Minister, and uh, you know it's not been an easy time to be running the country over the last 12 months, has it? It's uh, these are unprecedented times, huge pressure the prime minister's under, um, and obviously a vote on the renewal of the uh, of the lockdown powers on Thursday. And I have expressed my concern uh, that if we're sticking with the the data and not the dates, and even under those dates, we're going to have uh, be out of the lockdown by uh, the middle of June. Um, that Why does the government need to extend its uh, lockdown powers until the end of September?
0: Well, exactly right. And also, there are so many anomalies. And and Andrew, as you know, we speak to everybody on a daily basis here in the Independent Republic. We talk to our listeners, we we listen to our viewers. And basically, what they're all asking me is, why can we not get a much better idea of what the problem is here because we've got a vaccine rollout which is better than any in the world. Uh, I think Israel now is the only country we've overtaken the UAE in terms of the number of people being vaccinated. We've got a much lower rate of coronavirus than we've had probably since September of last year, maybe maybe even before that. You know, they're, they're, they're now talking about third waves and variants coming in from overseas and that we can't go on holiday. But surely what we can do if we can't go abroad uh, is to shut the borders down and open up Britain, for heaven's sake.
2: Yeah, that's what we need to do to get our economy going, get uh, get um, jobs being created again and get a head start on uh, a really lacklustre European Union who've uh, completely bundled everything. I'm told that the uh, that the, the reason uh, for the uh, delay or the slow uh, lifting of the lockdown is because of the fear of variants that uh, may be resistant to the current vaccination, uh, which will then require the vaccine to be tweaked uh, somewhat um and probably a revaccination. This is very, very concerning.
0: Yeah, but every time uh, there's been a new variant, uh, people say that. Politicians, in particular, say that. But the scientists all say, "Don't worry. Uh, the vaccines are so good and they're so agile that you can actually tweak them very easily. And it doesn't actually need very much tweaking in order to stop anything from being a problem. Because you know we are going to have this with us for a long time. And the reason, part of the reason, I say it's time to replace Boris is that I think we need somebody." Uh, who's a bit more forward thinking, who's not looking back, who's not frightened of his own shadow, who believes in Britain being successful and believes in taking what we've done with the vaccine and actually capitalising on it, not cowering behind a cupboard because, you know, there might be something out there we don't know about. Um, I
2: I don't agree with that analysis. I supported Boris Johnson to be prime minister. I think he's an inspirational uh, figure. He's he's one of the won us a fantastic majority in 2019. He's handled the country uh, during uh, unprecedented uh, times, and I'm going stick, to stick with him. But um, the, the fact is, I think there is, I detect, a degree of apathy in that we're so far ahead with our vaccination programme of the, uh, the rest of, uh, of, of Europe, certainly, our major competitor economies, that it's a bit like we're, we're in a race to the finish line and we're so many laps ahead of our competitors that we think we can just stroll to the finish line. Well, we need to, to sprint to that finish line and, uh, and get over it and, and get our economy opened up. And yeah. get Yeah, like, but I mean, it's not, unfortunately,
0: a- it's not a race to the finish line because somebody's burning down the clubhouse behind you. You're not looking that way. You know, here's the thing. Basically, if we were in this position last September and with the numbers that are currently on the database, we wouldn't even be going into tier two. And that was before we had the vaccine. So what's different? Well, I,
2: I, the only excuse I'm hearing is, is this fear of a, of, of a variant that's going to be resistant to the, uh, the vaccine. Yeah, but, but there's no evidence fi- for that, but, Andrew. But let, let me finish, Mike. I will. Uh, you know I let it, you
0: finish, Andrew. I'm not one of those interrupting people. You know that. If,
2: well, you know, if we live in that fear um, that there may be a variant that will be resistant to the vaccine, then we'll never be able to unlock it. Exactly.
0: But that's, uh, my, that's exactly my point.
2: That's the situation we find ourselves in if we're going to live in that fear. so um,
0: Yeah, but we're yeah. Now, we've, we've now got the fear of the third wave, which we haven't got because we have a vaccine. We shouldn't get it. We're in fear of a variant that hasn't happened yet. Uh, and we're also in fear of opening up too soon because it might look bad when we do the inquiry. I mean, you can find anybody to be frightened of anything. And I'm afraid that's why I call for Boris to be replaced, because I think he's now a man in fear of his own shadow. And I don't blame him for that, but it's not helpful to the country. I don't want a prime minister who says this is going to haunt me for the rest of time. I don't want that. Well, I think the
2: problem, one of the problems is that the people who've surrounded uh, number 10 and the prime minister for the last 12 months out of necessity, the sage advisers, the chief medical officer, the suppliers of the PPE, the suppliers of track and trace and all those services, They've got a huge vested interest uh, in continuing these measures, whereas, you know, I think uh, it belies on backbenchers such as myself mm. representing constituencies outside London uh, who, you know, not everyone out there in the country, not all of my constituents have been able to work, have had a good lockdown. No, of course where not. A lot of the people around uh, around number 10 and uh, Westminster, they're having a pretty good lockdown. They're working from home and uh, everything's the money's still rolling in. This is not the picture across the whole of the country. And uh, I think it be- beholds uh, backbench MPs to uh, to hold the government to account and, and explain this to them.
0: I mean, let's face it, Chris Whitty hasn't had to cancel any big nights out, has he, uh, over the course of the past year? This is a bloke doesn't go anywhere. You know, he hasn't had to cancel anything. Uh, he's quite happy <laughs> and, to continue to and work people, from home. People, people in that position have huge have had I mean, have enjoyed huge power and authority
2: over the last 12 months without any accountability to the British people. He, he's not standing for re-election. Yeah. He never stood for election. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's not a
0: position that's tenable, yeah. as, in, in my view. And we, as, as almost the sole broadcaster out there in this country, speak to and speak for an awful lot of people in this country, and we get ignored by this government. Government ministers don't come on this this station because they don't like being asked tough questions. And we're asking the questions that people want to answer. How is that working?
2: Well, I mean, um, I, I, I do hate it when uh, whether it's your programme or, or you know, the left wing bias BBC on Newsnight when when the, uh, they announced that, you know, we approached the government, but no one was available for comment. I mean, there, there are plenty of government ministers who could be put up or, or indeed the party chairman should be out there um, defending the government line. Um, that's part of our democracy, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yes, I know. But you start to, to start to wonder if there's a specific reason why uh, the, the, the last two days, two senior government ministers have not come on to talk radio to talk about their policies. Where if, have if they gone? Everywhere else.
2: And those are questions you'd have to ask those ministers. I, I can't speak for the government. I'm, Andrew, the listen,
0: government. I appreciate that. I'm not asking you to. I'm just laying out for you what we hear every single day. We talk to people that are in hospitality businesses, uh, which are on the brink of collapse. We talk to people who are freelancers, you know, self-employed businessmen, people who run small businesses, people who don't can't do their business, can't do their work because of this crazy fear that's out there. And it's all emanating from Downing Street.
2: Well, also, I mean, I've got one of the major employment hub in northwest Leicestershire is East Midlands Airport. Um, It's doing very well on the cargo. But obviously, uh, as far as passenger transport is concerned, it's absolutely desperate times. And uh, until they've got a date when we may possibly be able to travel, uh, people just aren't going to book holidays. You're going to have the collapse, if not careful, of uh, major airlines and travel companies.
0: Exactly right. And I mean, there are those who have, it, have, as you described it, a good lockdown who talk about, well, why do you always want to go on holiday? Why can't you just list, uh, you know, last without a holiday? It's only another four weeks. Well, it's only another four weeks until the four weeks is up and then it becomes another four weeks. I mean, we heard this week that the May 17 day, when an awful lot of people have actually booked flights out of this country to go away, uh, has now been pushed forward or back, whichever way you look at it. Uh, and it might be July before anybody can go anywhere. And that is simply not acceptable. You know, if you say that it's too dangerous to go, Go to europe because their instances of coronavirus are too high why was it that we could have gone there last summer you know we've got a perfectly good system that you could put into place at airports where you test people people have been vaccinated anyway you know what's the problem indeed and i've been pressing the government because currently there's no uh, there's no provision
2: uh, for people who've been fully vaccinated uh, to circumvent the uh, the, the, the lockdown, uh, our self isolation mm. measures, either coming in or going out of the country, and obviously we're going to have an increasing proportion of our population and people from other countries who are going to be able to prove that they're uh, they're fully vaccinated
0: uh, from from the uh, from the virus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you cannot make the entire country and the entire world risk free. You know, you could get on a plane uh, to Mallorca and it might crash into the Adriatic. You know. You can't tell well, me therefore you're going to stop people getting on planes, can you?
2: Well, I have been thinking about this and and you know, we, if we're not careful we're getting into a, into a situation where the government's not going to allow anyone to die of Covid but also no one's allowed to live and, and that is not the lifestyle that most of our constituents want to live No, I
0: mean there was this ludicrous call last night um, for what, once again another vigil, you know, we've become obsessed with vigils, right, most of the people that I have spoken to uh, in the last 24 hours said that they did not see anyone in their street holding a candle up, there's a couple of pictures on some of the front pages this morning, but most people are sick to death of it, most people have you know, very sad that people have died, they're very sorry for anybody who's lost loved ones and families who have lost loved ones should indeed uh, be entitled to grieve for them but we are also a country which has got the large bulk of the people in it who have not been killed by covid who have not suffered that much as a result of it apart from economically and because they can't work um i certainly know a
2: number of acquaintances who've sadly passed due to uh, Coronavirus over the last twelve months, so uh, I couldn't quite uh, agree with that. Well, it's not. Well, Andrew, I'm not saying you you don't know. I'm not saying you don't. I'm not saying you don't know anybody.
0: But what I, what what I'm saying is, is that you know, there's a far bigger number of people who have been affected uh, because of the lockdown than have been affected because of coronavirus. Because let's face it, when you know that four and a half million people have tested positive for coronavirus in the last year and 126,000 people have died, that means it's between one and 2% of those who tested positive who died, right? That means by far and away, the biggest proportion of people, 99 and a half percent of the people in this country have not died.
2: Absolutely. And, and I've, I've explained to number 10 that you know we've, we've brought in the lockdown measures to control... Uh, the coronavirus outbreak, um, but we also, we almost now, well, we need a policy from the government to get over the side effects of the lockdown, which are, are absolutely immense on mental health, well-being, uh, child development, their education. And these people are going to carry this burden with them for years, if not the rest of their lives. This is going to have a huge effect uh, on our society and across the world.
0: Yes, exactly. Let's talk a little bit, uh, Andrew, about this bit, other big story, Pretty Patel's uh, new rules for uh, illegal migrants with a, a, another attempt to stop the flow of people coming here illegally uh, trying to basically say that new a new bill, which won't be introduced till the autumn, but will be introduced as a bill will basically make it impossible for many illegal migrants to settle in the UK, even if their asylum case uh, is accepted. Um, is this going to work? Because we've had lots of attempts at making something work. I'm not certain that this will work any better.
2: Well, it'll come under attack from the, uh, the, the lawyers, of course. But I mean, I think this is long overdue. It's exactly what we want. Uh, and and it's going to have the support of a population. So genuine asylum seekers will get more support and help to integrate into our society. And those who are purely economic migrants entering the country illegally will be turned around quickly. Um, That's going to act as a disincentive. And also, I mean, who's not going to support cracking down on these people traffickers who are basically trading and making a fortune of uh, absolute misery and 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 pushing people onto a very dangerous journey where some of them are going to lose their lives with very little hope of actually um, settling in the UK. Um, I mean, I think even the most ardent of uh, francophobes would would not be able to claim that France is not a safe country if you're an asylum seeker to claim asylum. Mm. Um, The fact is that when we were in the European Union, they could claim asylum in various European countries uh, be settled and then later move to the UK. Obviously, now that we're outside the European Union, that option is not op- open mm. to which is, I think, why we're seeing a lot more of them travelling in small boats at huge risk across the channel in the hope of getting settled in the UK when they actually have almost no hope of being able to do so.
0: Yes, but the trouble is the system is such that they can hang around for a very, very long time while they're uh, in the process of being processed, if you, if you like. I mean, the mail today, another 150 crossed to Dover on small boats yesterday alone, um, and, and it seems to be getting they, worse.
2: When their, last, when their last appeal fails, what they do is they just disappear then into the, the underground uh, culture, the subculture, which is the modern slavery market, of illegal immigrants within the uk and that's uh, an issue that is quite local to us in in leicester as we've seen in the garment industry and that needs to be dealt with as well
0: yeah there are so many reasons why it needs to be fixed there's no doubt about that andrew and you're right that people would support any measure to do so the question is can it be fixed because we've seen this all before and unfortunately none of it's worked well it can be fixed um but it will come
2: under a lot of a lot of attack from uh the left and the human rights lawyers, won't it? We course. know this. Yeah, we've, absolutely. We've got to see it off. Um, it's not in the interests of of the migrants themselves uh, to be stuck in limbo. It's not in their interest to uh, abscond within the UK and disappear into that subculture where they're going to be exploited for the rest of their lives in modern slavery conditions mm. uh, in the UK. Uh, and it's not in in our, in our interest to encourage people to profit from. Uh, from um, taking huge amounts of money and probably indenturing them in debt so they'll have to go into the modern slavery market to to repay the, the people traffickers. Um, I'm, I'm fully supportive of people trading on that sort of misery, uh, getting life sentences. Okay.
0: And finally, Andrew, can you assure us you're going to be voting against extending the lockdown restrictions until September or the lockdown rules, if you like?
2: That's what I told my, my whip this morning. I'm coming under a lot of pressure. I'm going to read the uh, the powers that the government claim they're giving up. But it uh, it seems unprecedented to me to take those powers until the end of September when even the government's modest roadmap, very conservative roadmap for lifting the lockdown, says that we'll be out in in June. And I think the, uh, the conspiracy theorists will just have a field day if we extend till September.
3: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
0: Let's talk to Charlie Ray, royal commentator today on the news that Prince Harry has finally got a job. I mean, after all, uh, he's only 36. Charlie, how's it going?
3: (laughs) I'm very well, mate.
0: How are you? Yes, I'm glad to see that uh, he's finally branching out to become, you know, in his own words, financially independent at the great age of 36. uh, By which time I think I'd already had two children, uh, was married and had been supporting myself for a good, um, I would say, pretty much 20 years.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, he's, 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 <laughs> he's to finally got himself uh, a job. And I have to say, when I first heard about it yesterday, I had to read the thing three or four times because I, I wasn't actually quite sure. And I'm still not quite sure what a chief impact officer actually does. Um, but to be fair to him, this is this is uh, something that is a company called Better Up Inc. based in, obviously in uh, California somewhere. San Francisco, uh, San- yeah. So, oh, yeah, uh, and um, it, it's an, an app that helps people with mental health issues. Now, Harry himself has uh, has uh, had problems with mental health. He himself has ad- admitted that. And uh, he and his brother and uh, Catherine and Megan were involved in mental health charities when they were in the UK.
0: So it is something he is quite passionate about. Um, yeah, but I'm, he might I'm, be passionate about it, but the question I would have, and I know everybody knows the problems that he's had and he's talked about them in the past, but how does that make him qualified to do a job which would be, in my view, from what I've read, uh, something of a kind of advisory role?
3: Yes, and I, I, think, I think you're absolutely right. I don't actually think he's got, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure he hasn't got any qualifications to actually be a mental health counsellor in some
0: description. Mm.
3: But clearly this company have sought out Harry because of his... Of his his royal connection. Yes, it's a star Um,
0: power job, isn't it?
3: Uh, it, it is and it is it is aimed i'm assuming that one of the things that will happen is that the, this company this better up it, their profile will certainly rise you know to you know great great heights i think it was um, interesting that the chief executive a guy called alexei Robichaud, uh was saying this morning that um he didn't find a difficult job to uh, persuade other execs to give harry this job Well, i'm sure i'm sure
0: <laughs> I'm I did. Although, you know, I'll tell you what, there is one uh, job description which I presume uh, they would have maybe questioned. It says here, uh, one should have a reputation as a strong team player known for collegiality and predisposition to work collaboratively. I'm assuming yeah. they're not going to get a reference from the royal family then.
3: No, I, d- I, d- I don't think any references will be coming <laughs> from, from the royal family. And I also see that... Um, You know, he's going to be working across, you know, everybody, bringing people together, you know, making things sweet and everything else. I don't think it actually says that includes tabloid newspapers. Right. Now, presumably
0: (laughs) um, he will be being paid. And I've seen various different accounts of that, which could mean he's being paid somewhere in the high six figures, maybe even more possibly even a million quid a year something like that. I mean, it's all very well saying he wants to be independent financially, but would it not be um uh, out of place to accuse him of kind of cashing in on his uh, on his family connections?
3: Well, he's been cashing in on his family connection, you know, ever since he moved first of all to Canada and uh, you know then to then to uh, California. Mm. I mean, listen, if this guy was just plain old Harry Windsor from Slough, yeah. You know, there wouldn't be anybody would be after him. The point is, he is sixth in line to the throne at the moment. And, you know, his links with the royal family make him a good catch for, you know, lots lots of companies. Because they're getting lots of free publicity by the fact that he and Meghan are associated with them. Mm. Um, so, yeah, he is cashing in on, on his on his background. Um, but yeah, I didn't expect it to be anything else, to be perfectly honest. I mean, how
0: soon before you think we see the Duke of Sussex's mood pillow? For sale for only well, 25 dollars yeah, a time
3: i i particularly like the, <laughs> the this this package that this, this better up Do, which is an app i'm told is like tinder having oh, no, yeah. uh, no idea But you may be able to explain it better not really no <laughs> <laughs> it's used by is is used and it offers five inner work days a year okay you know so that staff can go through things like hiking and reading
0: books oh yeah
3: Nice. I didn't realize you had to have a set day to read a book. To be perfectly no, honest. I
0: thought you sort of well, that sort of thing you do in your spare time, isn't it? Yeah,
3: exactly. <laughs> yeah, Dear
0: me. Now, listen, talking um, of spare time, one, one yeah. other story to mention to yeah. you uh, Zara Tyndall and Mike Tyndall uh, yeah. welcome another baby boy into their Gatcombe Park home. Uh, my only question to you, Charlie, is how soon before they put him on furlough?
3: Uh, Oh dear, oh dear. Now, remember, be careful, mate. There's been a huge apology on that score. Um, Now, little Lucas was born, and it seemed, looking at uh, Mike Tindall's um, uh, podcast, it seems it was quite dramatic. Uh, They didn't have time to get to hospital, and... He, the little lad, Lucas, was, was born uh, on the bathroom floor. Yeah. But mum and baby are doing well, and it's the Queen's tenth grandchild and comes just after a week or two that Eugenie gave birth to her son. So there's a little chum for the pair to grow up with uh, all around. So it's, great, it's good news that the, the baby is Something nice for self. the
0: Queen, finally, yes. yes, yes absolutely. Yeah, Very nice, too. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now it's time to pop north of the border and say a very good morning to Mr. Neil. Oliver, Neil, how are you doing? Good morning, Mike. Good to to see you again. Good to see you too. Uh, Now, last week, I thought we were relatively optimistic about life in general. I watched Boris Johnson yesterday. I don't know if you did. And I was kind of, uh, I felt as though I'd had the carpet pulled from under my feet. You know, I just thought to myself, this is a guy who is completely and utterly um, defeated, By this coronavirus. And I don't blame him for that. I'm sure there are lots of other people who would feel the same way. But he looks a broken man to me, and he doesn't look like a guy. And I'm not talking just about his physical appearance, I'm talking about his whole demeanor.
2: Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like
0: unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: He does
0: not look like a guy um, who is forging through this and finding a quicker and better way to get us out.
1: I think he looks done, done in. Mm. Uh, I've I've thought that really since he was ill uh, himself and and ever since he reappeared, I I felt that he looked uh, hollow, hollowed out. Mm. Um, And I think really, uh, I, I, I think it's exposed... Maybe Boris Johnson is. Uh, I think he always wanted to be a, a kind of Churchillian leader, you know, who would make great rousing speeches about, you know, fighting them on the beaches and and leading the way to the sunlit uplands. But when confronted by this challenge, which has been a big challenge mm. by by anyone's estimates, I think I think he has just uh, failed uh, all across the board. And I think the realization that that he hasn't been able to to be the leader that, he th- that he'd fantasised about being, mm. uh, I think
0: has left him, you know, just defeated. Yes, exactly. Also, it's one thing to say we will fight them on the beaches; It's quite another thing to fight them on the beaches. I mean, Churchill actually did live through a time when we did fight them on the beaches, and I think that gave him a certain respect and a certain rigour. But to kind of use that uh, as, a, as, a, as a sort of political throwaway campaign slogan, I think has come back to haunt him.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily uh, level all of that kind of criticism at him. I, th- I think he, I think he deserves criticism, but I-, I think it's right across the the board, across the government uh, and across the opposition. Uh, even, you know, not just the f- the formal opposition, but all of those who aren't the government. I think, I think they've all come out of this and been shown to be desperately wanting. I've said before, I think it's the end point of of career politicians, people without substance, mm. people without conviction you know who are who are in it as a sort of a I don't know a, a PR exercise. Mm. and what was needed in this circum in these circumstances was leadership and and, their, and of leadership there has been none. And it, the the coronavirus pandemic has simply exposed all of the weaknesses that were there. Um, it, it was a it was a challenge that was beyond them. I think it's been mishandled from the beginning, and the, the, as we've said over and over again, I think having be, set out on a flawed uh, 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 course, they've simply pr- ploughed ahead. Uh, even when all of the you know warning lights were there that they were doing the wrong thing when it came to the to the economy and to the to the collateral damage to to the population in every way that wasn't actually covid mm. uh, and their their inability their refusal to change course accept that they had made mistakes you know to to uh, set out on a new course uh, it's just got worse and worse and worse and that's why as you rightly point out that Although so many of the signs, so many of the signals would seem to suggest that that we could be and should be just opening up again and getting on with our lives and mm. putting this dreadful episode behind us. They can't because the, the path that they've taken down, if, if and when they, uh, they unlock, that will be when the full scale of the damage done becomes apparent. And I think they're, they're terrified
0: uh, to to expose the reality of what they've done,
1: mm.
0: which ending lockdown would do. That's a very interesting point, actually, which we've never really touched upon, because that, that I think you're actually right about that, because I don't believe this narrative that it's all about the impending inquiry, because everybody knows what happens in an inquiry. You know, we had the Chilcot inquiry into the Iraq war. Uh, we went into the whole uh, circumstances around surrounding the death of David Kelly. You know, nothing really came of it. Uh, all we did was uh, watch a lot of uh, grey suited men in rooms talking for hours and hours on end uh, to uh, end up sort of, uh, um, sort of concluding that, you know, it wasn't a very good idea. But, you know, what can we do now? Because it's all happened and it's all over and we just should move on, really. Um, and, the, and, 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 and I think you're absolutely right, because he seems yes. I mean, yesterday was was an opportunity to to literally close the lid on something, you know, and instead of closing the lid on it. Boris kind of dived in and decided to wallow around in it and go, oh, isn't it all terrible? And I'll be haunted for the rest of my life. And, you know, we must be so careful about these new variants. You know, he should have been charting a a future course, shouldn't he?
1: Yes. At some point, we've got to get on with the rest of our lives. And there won't be. That perfect day is not just going to present itself, you know, with with flashing lights and bells on. Mm. You just have to make... An independence day if you like you just have to you have to say at this point we have uh we have uh turned a corner from this point on it, it's up into the sunlight again that you know that that day doesn't come gift wrapped so that you can recognize it you make it you make it by a by an act of will yeah. uh and I, I mean for me the the fact is that this is a a, a pandemic based around a disease which As I understand it, is still accepted as having a ninety nine point seven or ninety nine point nine percent recovery rate. Yes. And and if 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 this is if we have been tested, if the world has been tested uh, in terms of its response to a pandemic, then this is an outright fail. Mm. What happens if and when, as you know, as as chance would suggest, if if there came a a a pandemic that was you know lethal to ten percent or 25 percent of the population these things are you know are surely hypothetically possible and if this is the best we've been able to do in the face of a of a a disease that poses minimal threat to any but a fraction of a percent then where are we really we have failed we have failed to cope with this pandemic Mm. you know the, the results are in and it's been a disaster and it's not just been a disaster in in britain it's been a disaster all across europe If this is the way our
0: leaders respond to this kind of challenge, well, it's back to the drawing board for all of them. Absolutely right. I mean, I've been listening to a couple of German um, individuals, one of whom based here, one of whom based in, in, in Germany over the last couple of days, because the German country is now up in arms massively about Angela Merkel, you know, who previously was kind of saint Angela, who couldn't do anything wrong. Uh, who was basing everything that she did on science, because after all, she's a scientist, right? And now it's completely flipped over. And the Germans are absolutely incandescent with the way that they've handled this. The fact that they've got a third wave, the fact that they've only managed to vaccinate about 10% of their population. Um, But the point is, is that, you know, if, if our position is now, well, it's all very well for us to be okay, but we can't do anything unless the whole world is okay. Well, that's just not feasible to me. Well, we're still haunted
1: by the spectre of zero COVID, from yeah. what I can make out. It, it seems as though nobody's going to be prepared to make the first move mm-hmm. until they can persuade themselves that, that COVID-19 uh, is, is extinct. Uh, you, I remember, you remember, used to read about if they said that if everyone on the planet got their heads shaved on the one day, that, that head lice and nits would be extinct <laughs> you know if, if everyone did it at the same moment That yeah. you know that, that that would would never have no known on the planet would ever be bothered by nits and head lice again right. but, but you know obviously that's never going to happen mm. and and likewise this this virus this this disease and many others like it are just going to be there but the, the the governments have have frightened large parts of the population that the big the big problem we've got now is the state of mind of of too many people yeah too many people surprise surprise given the the propaganda that has been out there are are terrified of of this disease uh, and i don't know how any government is going to is how do you roll back on the fear that has been sown mm. for the last many months about how dangerous our fellow human beings are yeah. you know such that they have to be we have to hide behind masks mm. behind closed doors 2 meters away from one another right. How do you persuade people that that time has now passed? Because for most people, the disease was invisible anyway. Most people have not seen it and
0: have... This is what I said to Andrew Bridget. It's not to to diminish or to demean those who've lost loved ones and all of that. We all know people. I mean, I know people who have died from it. I know people uh, who are older colleagues of mine I used to work with who are no longer with us because they got COVID. One guy you might even know uh, in Scotland, um, uh, Frank O'Brien, who you may have had uh, some dealings with at some point or other. I mean, you know, very well-loved individual, went into hospital, got COVID, unfortunately died. He was in his 70s. You know, we all know that. But the fact is that it's a very small proportion. I said this to, to Bridget. Uh, when I was talking to Magic Bridgen earlier. You know, it's it is, as you say, it's, it's 1% of the people that get it that die, not even 1% of the population. And so, you know, here we are dealing with people now arguing with us and saying, well, if you don't get your children vaccinated, you're being selfish. You know, they're now saying we're going to vaccinate children. Well, why are they going to vaccinate children? They've said before, children are not at risk of this disease. Why are we having to vaccinate them?
1: I don't even I don't even know how to answer that question, Mike, because you know you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you say what they used to say, which is that this disease poses very little threat to children, well, that, that doesn't seem to matter anymore. And and likewise, if you say that there doesn't seem to be much, you know, real tangible scientific evidence of asymptomatic spreading and all the rest of it, and you you get shouted down again. So it's it's very difficult to answer those questions mm-hmm. because most people have been have been backed out of the argument by the whole this is the science and we are the medical people and you don't know what you're talking about. Right you know that, that that's all been weaponized to to, to silence people Be, way beyond way beyond the, the the virus you know what i am grieving for is the loss of freedom mm. and the and the advent of this authoritarianism that has just been so easily applied you know i mean i, I sometimes feel as if i'm going through a a, a, a grieving process mm. i genuinely do and i think what i'm grieving for is that the the britain that i grew up in you know died mm. in 2020 yeah and it didn't die of COVID. It, it died of of politics, and and it died of the way in which panic-stricken governments responded in these in this draconian way. And uh, I mean, I suppose for people younger, children maybe coming up who don't remember, and if when when enough years have gone past that they forget how free and liberal Britain was, yeah. maybe they'll be all right. I think the hard task will be for people, you know, at our age or or old enough to remember the Britain that was. Mm. The Britain that I grew up in, which was free, which was liberal, where you could go where you wanted, say what you wanted, challenge, uh, speak out about uh, uh, about government, speak out about yeah. politics, go on protest marches, that that has been that has died right. in 2020, and I don't think it will come back. And I mean, I think that is that's the challenge for so many people that from this point on we're going to have to get uh, uh, get used to something fundamentally
0: and profoundly different. Well, and we've allowed this to happen. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I don't share your complete pessimism about it not coming back, but but I'm willing to be proven wrong because you're probably right. Um, but certainly when I was watching um, Julie Hartley Brewer the other morning, she was talking about, you know, who knew we'd live in a country uh, which would declare, which without much um, opposition, really, uh, that it's now illegal to take a holiday on Monday. And if you do one, uh, if you do take a holiday abroad, you could be fined £5,000. I mean... It, it, it's barely it's quite hard to say that with a straight face it's simply and to some extent it's i, I realized that it, i was naive i
1: i thought that the the freedoms that were there were somehow enshrined and were out of reach of 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 whatever batch of politicians you know i, th- I thought they were somehow behind some sort of bulletproof glass yeah. that they that no one could just get at my my freedoms and get at my liberty and I see now that that was naive of me and that with not even with the stroke of a pen, those liberties were taken away overnight. And I mean, you know, we, we grew up here and uh, looking on in disbelief at, at places in the Eastern Bloc where you weren't allowed to leave the country. Yeah. Just God, imagine that. Imagine living somewhere where you can't just get up in the morning and go to the airport yeah. and leave. Also, Imagine I, remember, that. I remember
0: going to former Yugoslavia before, you know, the, the, the breakup of it um, for a holiday back in the sort of late 70s and being stopped. Um, I was going from one hotel to another hotel and being stopped by this armed um, police officer with, a, with an Alsatian. And I was about 16 and I was going up to this other hotel where there was a disco and I was thinking, this is weird. And then they wouldn't let you take money out of the country. You had to take money in, but you couldn't take it out. It was like there was a cap on, uh, you know, the local currency. So if you if you went in with with, was way before the euro, obviously, um, you wouldn't be able to. And I thought, well, I imagine imagine living in a place like that.
1: Yeah, i i, I always, uh, I always felt I've always felt out of step. You know, I've said numerous times that I've never lived in in Scotland under a government that I've voted for, not a single day. <laughs> um, and I, so I've always I've long accepted just being out of step, I suppose, with. With um, the majority at any given moment, but I never previously felt that it mattered in this profound way. Hmm. Uh, I, I never previously felt that that I always thought, well, that, you know, the majority makes its decision. There's a democratic decision taken, and you know, for good or ill, you just keep moving forward for four or five years until the until the next time the thing is up for debate again. But but I, I, but I never I never expected to live to see how easily uh, the the liberties and the and the way of life and the freedoms that I had that I had taken for granted could so easily uh, be taken away. And you know when you're walking your dog, you know I mean when you shorten the chain, you know it's 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 easy to keep the dog on a short chain at that point mm-hmm. and not to let it out again. Yeah. And you know and likewise when when governments any governments when they pull the chain and shorten and take away freedoms. And impose uh, uh, legislation that's to their perceived benefit, then your chances of seeing it undone are, are small. You know, as everyone knows, income tax came in to pay for the Napoleonic Wars, and strange to say, it never went away again. Um, you know, and so likewise, the, the the steps that have been taken to shorten the chain that
0: we're all on. I'll I'll be impressed if if that if that chain is is loosened again Indeed. anytime soon. And speaking of um, governments that you've never voted for, what have you made of events of uh, of this week up in Scotland, where um, depending on who you speak to, Nicola Sturgeon's either been cleared or not cleared, um, she's been exonerated or not exonerated, uh, she has left holes in her argument uh, which she hasn't let anybody see. Um, I mean, you know, where do we go from here? Well. I-
1: none of it sur- surprises me i didn't I, I absolutely not 1% i was 100% convinced that by now the situation would be as it is now i didn't i, I knew that nothing would be changed by it uh, the only thing that i think po- possibly has been altered is perception i think nicola sturgeon previously even to some extent, you know, the SNP, but certainly N- Nicola Sturgeon was always able to appear gilded, mm. sainted. Uh, you know, the, the, there were other politicians in the United Kingdom who were, you know, tarnished with, you know, corruption and, and all the rest of it, but mm. somehow Nicola Sturgeon remained apart from all of that. Yes. And, and our supporters always trumpeted the fact that she was cut from different cloth. Well, I think at, at least this this ongoing process, and it's still going on, has has revealed the reality uh, you know that, that she's not. She's just like all the other politicians that she used to rail against. Mm. You know, there's there's corruption from top to bottom in Scotland, in the Scottish government. The the Crown Office is controlled by the Scottish government. Uh, mm. The Scottish uh, Parliament is not able to hold the Scottish government to account. Uh, and the and the the other the 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 the, the opposition parties Labour, Lib Dem, Green. You know, by their abstentions and the rest of it, I mean, they, they've just been shown to be what, what most of us thought they were, Ooh. which was people who are just content to, you know, be, you know, in the public trough up to their ears yeah. uh, with with fat salaries and, and pensions and expense accounts that they wouldn't get anywhere else. And they, they were just never going to rock mm. the boat. Right. Um, so, so those have been demonstrated to be people that will just keep their heads down, and you know, because they've got it, they've got an easy life. Yeah, I mean, the most troublesome
0: um, thing to me, Neil, is their ability seemingly to to simply just to strike out pieces of uh, information in documents and in testimony that they don't like the look of. We don't know. Yeah, I'd they, never, we, don't, we, I'd... we don't know what they all are because we're not allowed to see them.
1: I lived, I lived 50 years pr- pretty much before I'd even heard the word redacted. Yes. <laughs> I, d- I didn't know what redacting right.
0: was. Yeah, well I, first I had, to, came, I had I think, to look it up. I mean, I first came across it in those uh, MPs' expenses, when that MPs' expenses rail came out, and all of the information that the Telegraph had somehow had to be redacted to protect the innocent and all that, and that's fine. Uh-huh. But they've gone sort of redacto-mad, haven't they, up there? Because they've just gone, oh, I don't yeah. like that. Instead of doing it because there's a proper reason, they've now worked out that they can do whatever they like so they just take paragraphs out at will. I think the other the other thing that has been made abundantly clear is that the the the, the
1: Scottish National Party and, and the Scottish Government are secretive. They have a they have an instinct. You know, there's a good Scottish word, it, which means sort of sly and and covert and you know not to be trusted really. Um, and I think that they have been, that regime has been exposed as one that wants things to happen behind closed doors, behind drawn curtains and shut windows, uh, cover that up, uh, you know, score that out, don't let anybody see, don't mention that. That's the prevailing Atmosphere is of secrecy, mm. uh, and it, it's again. I, don't, I mean, it, I'm I'm a I'm a realist about these things. You know, there'll be an election in May, I'm sure, and I'm I'm sure uh, the SNP will be, you know, will be in in the same position after it as they are now. And the fact is, if if it's a democratic decision, if 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 most people want to uh, see that status quo, but continued, well, fine. I've always have I just go along with. Yeah. Uh, majority decisions mm. referendum here referendum there first independence brexit whatever each general election i just accept that you know that people make the decisions that they make and the, and the majority decision someone that carries and it will be a you know that, that after after uh the elections on may the 6th will be exactly where we are now i'm mm. quite
0: sure i mean who knew that accepting the view of the of, of the majority would somehow become a revolutionary thought but that's where we are